Welcome to the XX Mormon podcast. I am presiding over this meeting as Heavenly Mother. And with us today, conducting, we have the one and only, only Elder Jackson. Hi, Yay. everybody. Hi, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for having me back on the show. You know, it's very <laughs> gracious of you. I pray to you every night. I'm like, dear Heavenly Mother, please bless me that I will get to go back on the XX Mormon <laughs> podcast. It is such a good time. I have such great conversations with you there. Uh, please bring me back. And you always answer my prayers. So here I am. I'm back. Exactly. Because Heavenly Mother, yeah, we, we answer the prayers. Heavenly Father, mm, I don't know. Where's he at? Exactly. Yeah. Where the frick <laughs> is Heavenly Father at? Uh, pray to Heavenly Mother. And I guarantee you, this is a religious guarantee which means it doesn't hold up in court. But oh as a religious leader, as Elder Jackson, I guarantee you, if you pray to Heavenly Mother, your prayers will be answered. And if your prayers aren't answered, that's your fault. There's, you're doing something wrong. That's, exactly. that's right. The XX Mormon podcast has come full freaking circle, and we're starting our own cult with handshakes and everything. They're going to be derivative of the temple handshakes, though, but like, don't look into that. Don't listen. Yeah, don't look into that. It's because the Mormons were like a corruption of the original true thing. Oh my god, true heavenly mother worship, and uh, you know what's so wild is when you're in the church, just like if you're falling for any kind of conspiracy, you find evidence of that conspiracy being true. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you'll find the little things and be like. Because I'm sure, like, if we really did start a cult, which we never would, that's unethical and wrong. But okay, people speak would be for like, yourself, first of all. Because <laughs> people would be like, oh, goddess worship has always been around. It was always Mother in Heaven. It wasn't the goddess. It was her. You... It, wasn't, it wasn't Isis or Oshun. It was her. Like, they would find the evidence. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Well, there's, there's, always the, uh, there's always the joke in archaeology where every time, like, there's an archaeological dig, it's like, Yes, this was the site of a fertility goddess cult. Because every time they find, like, any sort of doll that has, like, boobs or, uh, like, uh, a vagina or even a penis, they're like, obviously, this was a fertility goddess cult. Like, every, every single time. And it's like, on, like, no, like, someday, someday some archaeologist is going to dig up the Barbie movie. And they're going to be like, this is a religious text for a fertility goddess cult like come on every time well there was this funny it's been around a while but i heard it in college in my undergrad that if human beings were to suddenly vanish like rapture style and another species like apes would evolve to where we're at or hell even dolphins um because dolphins are hella smart and whales or whatever some new species or an alien from an outside area or other dimension would look at our establishment Disneyland and mm. Disney World would be perceived as a mouse worshiping global faith. Like they would probably think that like this was the religion of human beings. Yeah. Because everywhere in the world, I mean, except for pockets, there's some kind of Disney, you know what I mean, yeah. illusions or whatever. And it would be more popular in certain spots. Yeah. 
it's just funny like it would be a mouse worshiping and then that statue of walt disney holding mickey mouse's hand they're like that must be the god yeah mickey Mickey is the demigod savior and then these (laughs) are the other gods and they would be like wow there's thousands because every disney film has uh, merchandise and you can literally wear it so it's like this must be the goddess or God that you're praying to, but it's like, no, man, like, that was just for our, just for our entertainment. Uh, people's DVD shelf is like their shrine to their local yes. gods. They're like, ah, this person worshipped Luke Skywalker, you know? <laughs> no, it's so, so true. And then there would be, because um, I have like mini backpacks with Disney. I have shirts. I even have a little Mickey and Minnie that are like little uh, plushies yeah. that I get little outfits for them. Those would be my, you know, my symbols of the gods. Yeah. Would be their, their little... do, you know, do you know what, though? I think if you kind of remove the uh, like the Western Christian bias of what or Judeo Christian, you know, of what um, a religion is, I think it would qualify like I love that you said that when Roger. when because because like we always think like oh it's a it's a religion and we have this specific idea about the tenets that are involved in something being a religion we have an idea about how you practice that religion what that religion looks like and we put that label on other things like I had a long conversation with a friend about um, and he's uh he's like a zen buddhist and we had a long conversation about whether he'd call it a religion or a philosophy and so there's like that line and then same thing like stoicism i'm big into stoicism but also like not in the same religious way that the early stoics were right like they had metaphysical beliefs uh, that went along with their stoicism. Whereas for me, I'm like, yeah, meditations by Marcus Aurelius, that's good stuff. Like, I vibe with that. Um, but it's not a religion for me. It's more of a, oh, like, I like this way of thinking, right? Um, but you could call it a religion, maybe. I don't know. What's a Wikinotes version of stoicism? For uh, our than myself? Yeah, so more like modern stoicism is very much like kind of in the vein of Marcus Aurelius where it is, this is my station in life. This is like my situation. How can I best live this, right? Uh, So like for me, I work retail. And so when I'm working retail, I think how can I be the best at this? And how can I um, kind of almost in a way... um, just let it let it be there right i th- i mm-hmm. think it's got a lot of um um kind of being present sort of thinking in it that's at least my version of stoicism is being in the moment and uh not um not let it not letting your emotions i think that's a lot of the time when people think about stoicism they think a lot about like the unemotional side of it but I think what it is is like uh, more of a perspective thing rather than just an ig- ignoring your emotions, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Oh, it does. I think that because that, we think of stoic, which is like not non-expressive. Yeah. 
Fair. Thanks for explaining that. But yeah, it wouldn't be your religion. It would be your philosophy. So, I mean, I'm comfortable with it. I've alluded to it before in previous episodes. Maybe Disney is my religion. It's my Mecca. I go there every year. See? I try to anyway. I'll never own a home because of this because I don't have enough money to put down for down payment because I go to Disneyland. I don't care. And one day when Florida isn't so scary, I will go to Disney World and it's just a whole vibe. And one day maybe we'll go to Disneyland Paris and Disneyland Tokyo and Disneyland Shanghai. I'll do it all. Do you I know what? Disney. Do you know what my Mecca is? My what? Mecca is Cardiff. Cardiff, Wales. That's officially my Mecca. I've decided. Oh, how did that go? It was amazing. It was like actually so good. I did so 10 days in the UK, kind of a whirl, whirlwind trip. I spent five days in Wales, most of that in Aberystwyth because uh, I have a friend who lives there. I went to the Welsh National Library there. That was amazing. I did a day trip to Cardiff where I made awesome friends uh, at the Cardiff Museum. And then they told me where to go and stuff. And I, I checked everything out. Car- Cardiff was like a beautiful city. Like I was like, I would, I would move there. Honestly, I would move to Cardiff. Um, it, was, it was very, very nice. Uh, plus, I'm a Doctor Who fan, and every time somebody found out that my last name in real life is Williams, all the Welsh people were like, oh, a proper Welsh name. They were very excited, and I was like, I fit in here. This is so nice. Um, but then I went everywhere else, and one of the last places I visited, you're going to love this, the British Museum. Let me tell you, okay, we always hear... This is my first time to the UK. We always hear about like, oh, the British Museum, they stole so many things. The British, they like ransacked stuff and whatever. Well, boy, was that like uh, like an underestimate. Like I, I went in there and I was shocked. Like I w- was flabbergasted how much shit they have in that museum and just like looking around and obviously not all of it not all of it was stolen like there was there was a japanese section that was sponsored by mitsubishi right like not all of this stuff was stolen but like a lot a lot of it you just walk around and you're like there's no way that they got that ethically like there's no way and it was cool to see that stuff you know, like mummies and these ancient statues and like stuff from like Hammurabi, like ancient, ancient stuff. But it was just kind of like disheartening to see just like how how much is there that just like shouldn't be probably, right? But I will say there was... Um, one thing, because I went to the uh, Scottish National Museum as well in Edinburgh, and uh, when I uh, was there, there was an exhibit that was closed off and a little sign that said, oh, this, this exhibit is closed to prepare such and such artifacts to return to, um, to, return to their nation in North America. So there... I think it was one of the West Coast nations um, that that they were they were sending a bunch of stuff back to. So there was 
some good stuff. And then the Welsh people, they told me, they're like, yeah, there's not really stolen stuff at our museum. Most of the collection comes from this collector. And they have like uh, uh, provenience noted on the display uh, as to how it was attained. Whereas the British Museum, of course, it's just like, yeah, we, we got shit. Like, we yeah. stole stuff. Yeah. Wild. I love that, though. And I love that a lot of it's coming home because it's so unsettling to me because there's like, like you said, mummies and like skeletons that like that belongs to somebody's family. Like your yeah. great, 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 great granddad's remains are in a museum thousands of miles away. Like that's so disturbing. <laughs> like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And I, I think that there is um, like it's a it's a it's it's a cultural thing. Right. Like for me. For me, if somebody was like, your great, 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 great grandfather was a very fascinating individual and we'd like to exhume his body to display it for such and such. I honestly think that would be freaking sick. Like, I would be like, <laughs> dig that old bastard up. Like, oh yeah, like, put him on display. You go. Like, but like, that's that that's how I feel about it. Right. And so I think it's important to consider how the people feel in their cultural context, what these different things mean to them, and then how do we, uh, how do we communicate that, and how, you know, does it does it go to a museum, or is there some other place that th these people in their culture uh, prefer to, you know, remember or learn or maybe forget? about their history right exactly word because it would be so many of so many of them at least in africa are like we have our own museum so give them back to our museums <laughs> like yeah give them back to us and then i saw a long 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 time ago a documentary about a group um they call themselves mobs in australia they don't call themselves tribes but a mob of aboriginal Austra aboriginal australians had so many skeletons stolen um, and they, I don't even know what ended up happening to the skeletons at the end, but they're like, we just want them back. Like, that's our family weirdos. Like, and they went into the way that they would, the way that they would handle dead bodies, mm -hmm. um, which is very interesting. And they would wrap them up and protect them from animals. So they put them up high in trees and things. And then once they would disintegrate them would be skeletons, then they would take the skeletons. Um, but they had a whole process and they're like, you robbed us of this process. Yeah what the hell man um so i don't know if they put it in a museum at the end or if they put the bones back to their sacred burial spots i'm not sure but i agree with you on that yeah yeah it's like indiana jones said it belongs in a museum well and not, then added in necessarily in, in its home country yeah yeah <laughs> and then you add in the little tag in, in its home in country. its in its home country it. how they want to display it or how they don't want to display it that's up to them you know <laughs> But exactly. it is it is complicated stuff, though. Like I listened to uh, a Freakonomics did a whole podcast about it. And, um, you know, of course, like me personally, I love seeing stuff in museums. Right. But I think it's also important that like not everybody wants to display this stuff. Right. Like um, I think history is told in different ways in different eras by different cultures um and yeah so i i think all of that has to be a consideration for people you know 
Word, 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 word. Yeah. Uh, it just yeah, kind of reminds me of that episode I did with sugarcane on Mormon theft, all the things Mormons steal. That's probably a, a product of white supremacy as well. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. You know, I, back, I was like, weird, stealing well, shit. <laughs> I was I was listening to uh, Behind the Bastards, um, which is a podcast uh, that talks about bad people, and they wow. they were talking about this cult called the Twelve Tribes, and they kind of you know they did the the same thing that you see in a lot of Mormonism and uh, other Christian denominations where they kind of adopt these things from Judaism. And it's interesting because Christianity at one point was just another branch of Judaism, right? And then it became different enough and adopted in a different enough place and mixed with those traditions to become its own thing. And then then it goes back and it says, well, and then it claims cultural ownership over these other things from this other culture that it's like they're not necessarily tied to. It's messy. Human history is is messy and you get like you get people who find out like their great great grandmother was jewish and they're like i'm jewish now and part of you says like okay but like you're not you were raised christian and whatever right but then also it's like but also like that is part of your history and so how do you relate to that right like if i'm a Canadian and I put on a kilt and somebody's like, well, you're not Scottish. It's like, okay, but like my great grandfather was right. Like what's the, you know, I love that question. Cause I can answer it. <laughs> so how you, we call it reconnecting, mm -hmm. how you would reconnect would be communicating with people that are already connected. Hmm. So fi finding people within your vicinity who are, who are practicing Jewish right, who might be from the same, it's not called denomination, but the same group as your great grandmother and finding out how do I, how do I reconnect? What's the way I'm, or if you're, you're interested in this cultural identity and or religious identity, that's a much easier path. But if you're wanting something that is strictly cultural, I think you just connect to those roots. Um, and if, as long as you're doing it in a respectful way with like patience and not white supremacy values, right? Sense of urgency mm. and shit like that. Um, then it's not a problem. Like I have no issues as somebody who is like pretty much a connected native person. I have no issues with people reconnecting. There's just a certain way that they go about it. That is offensive to me. And that's more a little, that's a little bit more personal, but what we don't want, right, is people to claim these things and then take it off whenever it's convenient for them. Mm. That's the worst. God, that's the we don't we have enough of those. But a lot of the time it's a what we call a race to innocence based off of an article by the same title, where people are so uncomfortable being part of the dominant group that they're like, see, but I'm oppressed too, and I'm gonna race towards that. But then they drop those titles of oppression the moment that it gets inconvenient. Right. And that's or like there was it was really hard for this a personal story it's really hard for me in grad school i took native american social work that was like an emphasis that i did for my graduate degree and my professor was the same tribe as me she was cherokee and we were vibe we're cool we're homies um and there was a young woman lovely young woman who 
just recently found out that she is Cherokee and was exploring that. And like, good for her, but it would literally make my eyeball twitch when she would say my culture. Cause I was like, you weren't raised with any part of this. Like, even right. though I was separated from other native people, we had what I would consider to be first off cultural history was like Cherokee history was in my house. I knew shit. Second off, the way that my family approached the world and the way that I approached the world was uniquely Native American. Like, no, 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 no. And then I went to New Mexico and that was lit and all these Native people were like, you're the best. And I was like, no, you're the best. And it was just a love fest. Like, it was just, it was wild. Like, she could, ugh, I love her taking ownership, but to say like, well, and I'm learning about my culture. Like, I guess it's not quite yours yet. Like, girl, take some baby steps. Like, back it up it was just frustrating and that's kind of i don't know it's hard to explain i probably sound really hateful well but i want people to reconnect i just don't want them to be unaware right and i i do think um like if i like if i went to wales and i was like oh well i'm welsh like i'm not welsh right like i have ancestors who were welsh right and it would be like me being like, I get what it's like to be oppressed. You know, like Wales, you know, they, they're they all ruled by the English, ugh, right? While ignoring that, like, I have English ancestry too, and also German ancestry. It's like, mm, you know, like, it's like, I, I'm a straight white guy in Canada. I cannot claim to be oppressed, right? Like, except by the rich, but that's a whole other but i i do um i do enjoy connecting like i have family recipes from that ancestry right like i have family recipes that come from these places and when i go back i can go and find gravestones for my ancestors right and i like learning about the history because it adds context to my own history right Oh, well, my ancestors, they were in this situation in this place. So then they said, well, we're going to move here and do this, right? Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. And I guess, I guess this episode has kind of turned into a conversation about cultural appropriation. I know. Um, Should it be back on topic, I feel bad. Well, we're already 22 minutes into it. So I... We can uh, save it for another time, I guess. Yeah. Or we can do it. <laughs> Otherwise, I, it's like split in half. Yeah, I think, I don't know. Yeah, we can change the original topic if you want. But I am curious about about this subject because um, yeah, it is it interesting. Hmm? Yeah, we can do it half and half if okay. that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Perfect. I don't know how well it segues, but it definitely segues into Mormon theft. So the little topic that I had, he, 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 um, is the church is mean in a nice way. So I wanted to explain what that is. And I'm going to use some literary and cinematic examples that I think some of us are familiar with. So the first one, <laughs> so the first one is the Disney's, <laughs> it's Disney's animated original Cinderella. Okay. Love it. Huge fan. It's, it's a great, right? So we all know I'm a Disney worshiper and we just accept this and we move on. Um, so there's a very specific scene that is a perfect example of mean in a nice way. And I have more, so I'm not just going to be stuck on this one example. But this one is 
is also like emotionally hard to watch. So Cinderella and her little adorable mice friends make her dress and it's taken from discarded items from her stepsisters, as well as items that were her, her mother's who passed away a long time ago. Um, it also mentions at the beginning of Cinderella in the epilogue or the prologue, whichever, which one comes first epilogue or prologue. the prologue? Prologue. In the prologue, it's mentioned, and I quote, Cinderella was abused. And then, like, it ends on that quote. And then, like, it kind of gives a little, you know, leading into it. So, Cinderella comes down because she's going to go to the ball. She's an eligible maiden in the kingdom. So, like, she has the, she has, literally has the right to go. It's by royal decree. So, mm-hmm. Cinderella has a right to go. And she looks beautiful. And this dress means so much. And Lady Tremaine looks on in horror. And... She tells her sis, like the two sisters, the stepsisters, isn't that your so-and-so? Like, isn't that your necklace or isn't that your sash? Or where did you get those? Doesn't that look familiar? And then her two evil stepsisters literally rip her dress to shreds, claiming that, yeah, that's my sash and that's my necklace and that's my this. And where'd you get this? And they literally rip it apart. And it's horrible. They were discarded items. There were things they were not going to wear. And Lady Tremaine just, like, watches and, like, raises her evil little eyebrow, like, hmm, well, I guess you can go looking like that. Anyways, like, moves on. I haven't seen the movie in a little while, so I can't remember it verbatim, but I'm just recapping as best as I can. Um, And then Cinderella's, like, devastated, and she's left in shambles, and she cries. The story ends happy, everybody. Don't you worry. She's able to go to the ball. But... That whoa, type whoa, whoa! Of, More important than going the ball, she marries the prince. Okay? Literally through a poetic irony. This is about a man. A, she, no, no, no! She <laughs> went there to have a good time. It is truly poetic irony that she happened to have the ultimate ending. She did not go there planning on meeting a man. It just happened through poetic irony um, and poetic justice, which is another film that does not have this example, but it's a good movie. Anyways, <laughs> if you're if you're into Janet Jackson, so um. Lady Tremaine, right, doesn't do any physical violence on Cinderella. She doesn't even say the words, rip her to shreds. She doesn't say, destroy the dress. She doesn't say, beat her up. She doesn't say any of those things. But in my view, right, for us third parties watching the story, we see her and we're like, that's the abuser. Like, mm-hmm. that's the that's the motherfucking instigator. But she, right, If that would that hold up in court, though? probably not would you say well you're you're emotionally abusive that's very hard to prove but she just she puts the things in order and then sits back and is like hmm so what are your now now you go your thoughts that's my little first example of mean in a nice way yeah okay i think well i don't i don't know if that'd be considered a nice way of being mean but i do think um I do I do think there's something to be said about people just allowing things to happen, right? You hear about it a lot in church of oh, if my kid was gay, I would leave the church. And it's like, okay, well there are gay children, <laughs> you know. One of them might be yours, you don't know yet, right? Right? Like there's this letting things happen. Letting it happen, letting it go on and just kind of being like, well, you know, they got, they, they got their just desserts. You know? <gasps> Word. They just have, 
different values, to quote somebody that I heard in a city council <laughs> meeting uh, public hearing recently. They just, these people who are homeless and housing insecure, well, they just have different values. God, no, I think you're exactly right. And another part about, about Lady Tremaine, that if she were to be confronted, because I've, I've analyzed this woman's pathology, okay, I'm diagnosing her, and I'm proceeding as if she's a client. She's not, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no one I work with is this. We actually, this, no pod, this, this podcast <laughs> is sponsored by Lady Tremaine. <laughs> Yeah, no, no one that I work with is anything like her. But if she were to be confronted and questioned, she would say, I took Cinderella in. She's, right. you know what, I love her like my other, which she doesn't. Obviously, she's abused her and treated her like a slave, you know, free labor this whole time for housing. That's it. Cinderella works for a house. That's, a, that's an attic surrounded by cute little mice. But it's by mice, nonetheless, and animals. She's part of the mouse religion. <laughs> Jesus Christ. She's 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 isolated. She's experiencing all these things of abuse. But Lady Tremaine would adamantly say if she was confronted and in other adaptations, she is. I've loved her like a daughter. I didn't rip apart her dress. She she borrowed and used Anastasia. And I think that, I don't remember the other one's name. Euphonia or something stupid like yeah, that. Yeah, some the other mean one. She she used their stuff without asking. The victim blaming would in, would initially begin because I'm sure that's how she's gotten away with it for years, and then the I didn't lay a hand on her, mm. and it's that type of approach the church does all the time, right? Like, I didn't tell you to disown your family. I would never say that, but I've told you all the ways that you know leaving the church, a crisis of faith, are contagious. I've told you all about protecting your own testimony. I've told you all about standing firm. I've laid out the framework for you to abandon your family if they leave. But I never told you to do that specifically. You feel? I feel. I feel. <laughs> uh, it's a very, like, it's um, it's like, a, oh, but I'm a good person. I Like, I'm a good person. I promise. Like, uh, we had... Uh, Okay, going back to this housing hearing thing. <laughs> no uh, we just had like a 36-hour city council meeting and public hearing about affordable housing in Calgary. And things went well. Like the outcome was good. Um, we still have a lot of work to do, but we're getting on the right track. And it's great to see. Uh, but uh, there were a lot of people in there who said, I'm, I'm not a NIMBY. I'm not a NIMBY, but don't you put those fucking poor people next to me. You know, like they have, right? Like they're, oh, well, I'm I'm a good person. Like I, I volunteer, uh, but I don't want basement suites in my neighborhood. I'm, I'm a good person, right? This reassurance, like, no, no, no. Like I'm a good person. Uh, I'm just doing what's right. But really when you look at it, you're like, oh, but you're like, preventing people from ac ac accessing housing right and uh and you see that you see that all the all the time in in the church is like no 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 i'm a good person i'm doing this because i love you you see that with their quote-unquote courts of love their disciplinary councils it's so that you can get closer to christ it's for the re repentance process it's 
that's that's what it is. We're good. We're good people. We're doing this because we love you. <gasps> oh my God, you're and, so right. What's a NIMBY? Sorry. Oh, a NIMBY is not in my backyard. They're often oh, they are often um, liberals, actually, uh, and and they'll say yes, yes, yes. We should we should build affordable housing. Absolutely, just not in my area. They're like, build it over there, build it somewhere else, not in my area. Don't bring that riffraff over here. I like my neighborhood the way it is. They, and they'll say things like, they're ruining the character of the neighborhood. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people have their own nimbyism in different ways, right? Like there are some people who say, don't, don't bring the train line out to my area because there are homeless people on the trains. And that will bring them to my area um so you see that with all sorts of people it's not and it often does present as um liberal progressive people because they they say no no we want these things i do really care about the poor i just don't want to see them uh mm -hmm. so that's like commonly commonly the way the way you see it I love that. I'm glad that you brought that up. And it, it also is, yeah, that's pretty mean. That itself is pretty mean in a nice way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it to it totally is because yeah, they're sitting there like, yeah, no, like I care. I care. Don't get me wrong. Like I care, but they also have a, I got, I got mine, you know, good luck out there. Like one guy, one guy in the city council meeting. This is my this is my whole thing now. This is my life. I watch city council meetings. Um, <laughs> it's like literally, I was watching it, and my sister came in, and uh, and she's left the church now too. And she's like, it sounds like general conference, <laughs> like because some of these people were so dull, and there's like old people talking, and it's like very procedural, and you know, um, but yeah, it is like. Um, you, you do get a lot of it. There was one guy who said he bought his house for $80,000 and he said, he said, that was a long time ago, but I, I worked very hard for that. And, um, and he, and he was kind of like, people now should work hard for their housing too. It's like, well, what are the, like, what are the salaries relative to what you had back then, sir? You know, um, but it is this. Um, well, I got it, it figured out. Why can't you get it figured out? Right? Um, the Lord has blessed me. There must be something wrong with you if he's not blessing you in the same way. Oh, yeah. I remember, I remember struggling with the church for years, right? And there'd be people who I've never questioned. Yeah. I've, my testimony has never been, why are, why are you always in a faith crisis? Well, because it was a heap of lies, Brenda. Yeah. I think no one was named Brenda. Brenda. Sure name. Um, but it wasn't, it was something that they would really not want to relate to or be related to mm -hmm. um, and to distance themselves. Yes. Yeah, so if you're liberal and progressive, but you're still functioning through a capitalistic and rugged individualistic mindset, you're not part of the solution the way that you think you are. And speaking of housing, I love my next example for mean in a nice way. <laughs> this is a perfect segue, Elder Jackson. Perfect. The, the original one that I thought of before I thought of Lady Tremaine 
Not as many people might be familiar with this, but there was a play and it was turned into a movie and then it got remade as a TV movie and it's called A Raisin in the Sun. Hmm. Um, excellent, right? The original is with Sidney Poitier and it is about a black family that comes into money and they want to move into a suburban neighborhood. And the neighborhood, there's it's deseg, so it's desegregated, mm-hmm. but the neighborhood is like pretty much all white. Like it is all white. Yeah. And they're a wonderful family. They're a realistic family. They're not perfect. Um, but there's this evil little, um, I think he's not, he's not a loan officer. He's like a, what is he? A landlord. My point is he's this like sweet little old man. And he's like trying to do everything to not get this family to move into that neighborhood and to not get that house. And he's throwing in all these offers. I can't remember what he, what exactly his career is, but he's someone that's involved in the housing. He's not a realtor, but something close to it. You know what I mean? Okay. Mortgage broker or something. Yeah, exactly. Someone in those, someone in those lines. Right. And he is offering them all these other properties. He's offering them everything. And he just has this, he's frail and he's cute and he's sweet. And like the original actor in the original film, I might be the man who voiced Winnie the Pooh or, or Piglet. Really? I don't know, but he's one of those really cute voices. Yeah. They're like, oh, you sweet evil, man. But he is evil. Like the this his role is similar to a deal with a devil. Like it's compared to that from a literary standpoint. He literally has contracts, he has papers. He's like, just sign away. Um, But he is not violent. He never calls this family the N-word. He's not violent with his words. He's not violent with his physicality, with his physical little self. Uh, But his goal in mind is wrong. His goal in mind is evil. Mm -hmm. His goal in mind is to push this family away. And there's even a line in the play where one of the, um, it's the sister and she has kids, says um, they're afraid we'll, we'll marry and have kids with them. That's what they're really afraid of. They're going to come to this white neighborhood and then they're going to have, their kids are going to marry our kids. And then like, oh God, there, yeah. there goes the neighborhood, right? Yeah. Um, and she's not wrong and she's a matter of a fact. And um, he is elderly and a man. And so very similar to the church with the church leaders. But I mean, yeah, if, if you confront him, which happens, right. And he just has a million reasons why they shouldn't move in. And they're all valid, much like the council meeting you sat in on. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. We have reasons why you can't move here. Yeah. And you know what? Like, okay. Shadows, legitimate concern. If you have a garden and you're worried about the, you know, house next door getting taller, right. I can understand how that might concern you. If you, um, like, worried about can the sewage system handle the additional population as we increase density in these areas? Can it, right? What are we going to do about that? These are legitimate concerns, right? Or even preservation of history. That's another concern that was brought up. Uh, Taking down of, of fully grown, beautiful trees, right? All of these things are legitimate concerns. But I think... Um, people use those concerns as their justification for keeping people out and keeping people unhoused 
and and maintaining their own property values, right? And I think a lot of the time, uh, these people convince themselves, right? We get convinced of our surface reasons. We may, what often happens, we make a decision based on how we feel, which might be fear, it might be nervousness, it could be racism, it could be anything. We make a decision and then we find other things to justify it. Things that sound good, things that we can present that say, hey, well, what about this? And so I think a lot of the time in the church, people really believe that they're making these decisions to be mean in a nice way based on the reasons they're giving, right? You look at the November 2015 policy, and I've talked about this on the podcast before. When that happened, I said, well, why would gay people want to be part of the church anyways? It's not welcoming to them, right? Um, What I didn't realize was the harm that it was causing. But in my head, I was justifying this revelation that the church had. And I, I was justifying it based on reasons that I thought sounded good and reasons that I thought made me a nice person. Well, they don't want to be part of the church because the church abuses them anyways, right? You don't want to live in this neighborhood because everybody here is racist anyways. So I'm helping you by keeping you out, you know, like, and so I think, um, I think a lot of these people when, when they're mean in a nice way, uh, really think honestly that they're like not mean in a nice way. They're just nice. They're decent people. Exactly. And with a raisin in the sun, it takes for me, right? As a, I was like a child when I saw it and I'm, I present as white, right? I took me a minute to realize how bad this man was. Mm-hmm. He disarmed me, right? Yeah. He, he did with probably the goal. I'm sure if I was a black girl watching this little girl, this little, little white presenting girl, little indigenous white looking girl watching it, um, I might have had a little more. Uh, skill right in picking up mm-hmm. picking the uptake here um but i think being raised mormon in so many white spaces you are conditioned to see elderly white men as sweet you know what i mean like sweet or non-scary it's disarming yeah. and we had a conversation earlier that a lot of times good looking men are disarming their yeah. physical appearance is a disarming and like it shouldn't be you know yeah and same with like now I'm able to see general authorities like that guy in a raisin in the sun where I'm like, no, you're bad. Like I know you're frail and old and elderly. Yeah. But your goals that you have in mind are not good. They're wrong. They're evil, in fact. Yeah. Gordon B. Hinckley. Frick. <gasps> that is the guy. Cause I always was like, he's like my grandpa. He's this nice old man and I love him. And then I leave and I find out, like, he's, like, lying through his teeth about everything. He set this whole thing up. Like, he's the guy. He's the guy. Like, yeah, yeah, that's brutal to to realize. And what you're saying, too, about being disarmed by this man. So a lot of people... Um, they'll go out and you trust people who look like you. That isn't racism. That is you fam- familiarity, right? Mm-hmm. I, 
I look in the mirror and I see myself and then I see somebody who looks like me and I'm like, I like that guy, you know? <laughs> uh, well, and I, th I think that's, um, you know, that's normal. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you get uh, these people they and they talk in these city council meetings and they talk in general conference. And as people can see, I'm like moving so far away from the church now, like in, in my life that like things start relating to municipal politics instead of, <laughs> instead of the church. Um, but you see these people and you say, oh, they're like me, right? That's my neighbor. And he, he's going out there and he's defending this. And so I trust that. But then um, what I've realized is really important for me to do as a white guy, as a straight white guy with a, a beard, brown hair, blue eyes, like, <laughs> you know, standard issue white man. Um, I, I've realized that it's really important for me to speak up because there are people out there who have been isolated who just don't know and they don't think about that. And so when I'm, when I'm at work yesterday is a great example. And I was listening to the city council meeting all day. I got in trouble for having my earbud in at work, but I was like, I got to listen. This stuff is juicy. Um, and they're, and they voted, they voted on this thing and all motions passed. And I was so, I was so happy whenever a customer would come through the till, they're like, how are you? And I'm like, I am so well. And I tell them, I tell them why. And there were a couple customers who, who know me They're you know, I, I work at a, a liquor store and so I get regulars, right? I work at their local liquor store. And so they've seen me before and they're like, you're always so happy. I'm like, well, today is special because city council just passed this really important thing to do with housing and and i'm excited about it and this one lady she she said well i thought what they were passing doesn't that mean that they can build like a tall condominium tower like right next to my house up the hill here and i said no 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 because there's a lot of misinformation about it i said no 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 it just means that now around the city, once they enact the bylaws and stuff, they still have to write all that stuff out. Um, but now they can, you can build duplexes and uh, triplexes and uh, townhomes on the same street as single family homes, allowing for more housing diversity, more population density, um, and more population diversity, filling up schools that have that have uh, shrunk uh, and are unused because local areas now have fewer people because household sizes have shrunk. And, uh, and she said, oh, oh, that's good, right? She, you know, and I, I think part of the reason why she thought like, oh, that's good is because I'm a white guy explaining this to her and this is a white lady, right? Like, I think it's really, really important for people who have privilege to use that privilege to connect with other privileged people to like help them realize like hey hey you know like it's okay that like it's going to be okay right i think if uh it you know and this this isn't so much of an issue um now especially where i live um but like if um 
if uh, uh, another white person sees me hanging out with a Filipino person, right? They're like, oh, I guess that's fine, right? Like there's, there's, there's that thing you have to put in that effort um, to, to communicate to other people in your group um, to advocate for other human beings. And it would be nice if we could just all get along and everything would be fine. Um, but yeah, that's my, that's my soapbox. I think, I think it's really important, um, to use privilege to, to speak up and, and help. Uh, yeah. I amen to that. Preach it, preach it. I, I utterly and completely agree. And I've said it before on the podcast, somebody that looks like me can get further in the conversation than if I was more identifiably ethnic. Like I said, my community can tell I'm native. Mm -hmm. I get this first things out of their mouth. People that don't aren't around native people or mixed people have no idea. Or I've had people say, I knew you were mixed with something, <laughs> something. And something. I see men call native something else. Like, oh my God. Um, like when they talk about a census, they're like, for marking for black, white, Hispanic, or something else. We're like, what? <laughs> Anyways. Um, <laughs> But I, I think a really great foot out of the door of the church, and it was for me, right, is the fact that nobody was really representing me. You know what I mean? Their greatest asset is, asset is their greatest weakness. And it's their lack of representation and their lack of diversity and holding women down. Yeah. And there was no relatability. That relatability was broken, and I had to force shoehorn my way into fitting in in the church, and it never worked. But that ended up being a huge benefit to me because it made le leaving so much of like, I'm not giving up very much. You know what I mean? I'm giving up a, a faith that never valued me as an analytical person, as a good public speaker, as a excellent teacher and explainer of deep concepts, including scripture. That's never valued in the church, especially if you're a woman. Yeah. But it's never valued, period. You know, I would give a talk on Sunday or in a, a class and a lesson in a class that was better than what you were hearing in general conference, more riveting, more whatever, better, better biblical illusion. The list goes on. And people like me, because I'm not the only one, were never valued because the church just wants you. Like, it's like Andrew has said multiple times, right? Stay, pray, pay, obey, and pray, right? Isn't that the three, right? The three yeah. things that are that's what the church always boils down to um, and they're not interested in any issues that would actually make the world a better place they just do what they can to keep you so they'll make these changes air bunny quotes that seem like good changes but really it's so surface level or they're just replacing with replacing a policy with something that rhymes with it and you and I have at length, I think every time on this podcast, whether it's me hosting or you hosting, we always bring up that the church does a really good job of um, gaslighting <laughs> yeah. and changing something so small, but then being like changing something huge and saying, this is always how we've done it or changing something small and being like, isn't that good enough? Yeah. Isn't it enough? But yeah. it never ends. <laughs> yeah. And it like big pats on their back right like it's you know it, it's like you do one nice thing one time and it's like i'm jesus you know like, <laughs> you know like it's it's so 
disappointing um, that, I don't know, that, that that's the way we operate, right? That it is like, uh, oh, you know, like, look how, look how righteous I am. Look how good I am. <laughs> Are you kidding? The church? The church is evil? The church is racist? We gave black people the priesthood in 1978. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> like, don't you remember that? Don't you know how progressive and kind we are? Gay people are totally welcome in my congregation. If anybody's ever seen Heartstopper, um, their Heartstopper, it's a cute show. It's on Netflix. Uh, it's based on a on a like a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. It's about like these gay high school kids. Very, very cute, but boy, does it make me glad I'm not in high school anymore. I love being an adult. Um, but uh, there's one character in there, and it's in the UK, and this girl, Imogen, she's, she says to this, this uh, gay kid, she, she's like, oh, I'm an ally, you know, like, and the, the way she says it is like, you're okay with me. Um, and she is fine, but like, it is kind of um, like the church is like, oh, I'm an ally. Like, you know, I'm I'm cool and you can come to church. It's safe, but it's like but it's not. You know, and you're not actively doing things. It's like the ideas of anti-racism, right? It's like you just like it's not enough to not be racist. You have to be anti-racist. Like you have to be actively putting in an effort to, you know, be more kind and be more thoughtful and examine your prejudices. And realize when you have a bias, and uh, and and put in that put in that effort. Don't worry, Heavenly Mother, we've got you back. I saw I saw you had frozen for a second. I don't know if you missed anything, but it was no, great I was wisdom. I'm spitting. Oh, okay. I was able to hear you, but it was frozen. But I could still hear um, the reception went out. That segues perfect to my little point um, that I've been thinking about for a long time. I'm at the age in my life where complicity manifests socially as the same exact thing as hate. So I'm at the point in my life where if you're complicit to something, you might as well be hateful because it reflects the same socially. So if you feel indifferent about something, if you meet something with total apathy or a little bit of antipathy, then just go ahead and meet it with hate because you're doing the same goddamn thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm just at ready and ample at the point that um, inaction manifests the same as like going and beating. Like if I'm being beaten and you just walk by and you don't contribute to the beating, but you don't do anything to stop it or help me, then you might as well hate me. Yeah. Um, and the way that the church is totally apathetic towards major causes you might as well be hateful. Like it's kind of the same thing with like caring about the climate and whatnot. If you're not actively doing things to help, and I don't mean little individuals, I mean large companies. We've all been lied to, right? That we need to use less plastic. Your and we carbon need footprint. You're the problem. But it's really actually major companies. The church is one of those companies, right? Uh, it is for sure. The church is contributing to global climate change and issues regarding that. Um, they don't do anything to counteract it, yeah. but they're this huge bazillion, bazillion dollar uh, entity. So yeah, you might as well 
you might as well be as bad as those, etc. Yeah. So that's, that's how I feel. So I think sometimes being mean in a nice way is simply doing nothing, but then having a really sweet voice and a sweet, calm, well, I would never. And then they go and vote against things that benefit marginalized people, you know, like, yeah, my cringe is cringing. Yeah. Because, and maybe this is too hateful and you can tell me if it is. I don't have, I will always have people connected to the church in my life. We've discussed Mm -hmm. this on the episode before, a long time ago, you and uh, Bishop Jensen did. We're always going to have ties to the church because we're going to have family. We're going to have friends. Just is what it is. We're raised in it. Can't really escape. Um, But I'm getting very angry when I run into Mormons who say things like I am an ally and I care about racism or I care about LGBTQ plus rights. I'm thinking out of myself, like, how can you? How can you? You're giving 10% of your money to an institution that has lobbied, literally gotten political, you know, moved mountains politically and financially to keep other people down. How, 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 how? But I just remind myself they is brainwashed. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Cause I, I have a couple friends who actually kind of encouraged me to leave the church and they're still active. They're married in the temple. They have a kid, you know? Um, but they were, they were the first members who I told, you know, that, that I was going to leave. Uh, we were having a conversation and they, I was, you know, going off about something about BYU-Idaho, and they said, Alex, like, or Elder Jackson, why are you, why are you here? Like, you should leave. If this isn't making you happy, you got to get out, man. And, um, and so they're supportive like that, and they're totally supportive of, they both have siblings who have left the church, who are gay, and they're, you know, they're very supportive of that. But they stay still and it boggles my mind whenever I talk to them I'm like why why are you in (laughs) and and how like because I know this isn't what you believe I know this goes against what you believe and I have family who 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 sticks in and they want to make it a better place and they put this effort into making a better place but it's like it's not a good place and it's hurting people and you know that and, you know, you know, it's this huge uphill battle that honestly, like, leave. Um, but yeah, they're brainwashed or they or honestly, like, they really think they can change it, which sounds nice. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know, I think you got to have empathy for them. And you also have to maintain that relationship, because that's the only way they're getting out. If they have a safe space to rehearse their doubts with other doubters uh that's that's the only way people get out um yeah, yeah. i'm gonna cut you. i was gonna, i was gonna affirm you and agree with you i think you're absolutely right what you said is very helpful to me and i told a friend of mine um they haven't come on the podcast but i haven't met them we're still homies but i had a friend um who i told at BYU idaho to leave um because they're gay and yeah they were suicidal at another point in time due to that, you know, just the duality of wanting to be Mormon, but knowing wholeheartedly that they're not heterosexual. Um, 
and I would rehearse my doubts with them. And I told them to leave. And then I told them that I was going to stay so I can make it better. So maybe one of the reasons it makes me angry is because it used to be me. Right. And so yeah. if you have the enemy of hate, um, there's an excellent documentary called the anatomy of hate where what we hate in others is often what we have worked to overcome in ourselves. Right. So I used to be that person. And then a huge light bulb moment was realizing that the church has never changed from the inside out. It's been quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. Whenever they do make a change, it's because of outside pressures, not inside pressures. Mm -hmm. Um, And as long as you do those three things, stay, pay, obey, or like pray, obey, whatever the three things are, praying and obeying and, you know, paying are the big principles. Mm -hmm. Um, They do not care how much you disagree with. They do not care how progressive you are in your Sunday school lessons, how progressive you are as an elders quorum president, as progressive you are as even a bishop, right? Because that one gentleman, I don't remember his name anymore, but he accumulated all those stories of sexual violence survivors Mm -hmm. where their ecclesiastic leaders didn't do anything. He's excommunicated. Like they'll get rid of you. They won't change And then the church in Utah recently won a lawsuit where um, confidentiality is protected. That you can confess to molesting a child or or an adult, doesn't matter. You can confess to sexual violence. Sexual violence in the church is disproportionately against children than it is adults, at least at this time, with the stats that we have. Um, You can confess and a bishop is not obligated to go to the law that passed in Utah. So the church is literally passing laws to keep children like abused and oppressed. Yeah. Um, despite the public outcry, despite, despite internal outcry and the church did, did different things like keep kids safe, like having doors open. It's not the random elders quorum president that's perping on these kids. It's their own family members. Yeah. And you're letting family members get away with it on my mission. I worked with companions I worked of, I've worked with Mormons my entire life that have had familia, like familiar um, sexual abuse for generations and the church will know about it and discipline and handle it. And these men never go to prison. Like the, you know what I mean? It's like the Boston Globe situation. Yeah. Um, so that got super, super dark, but I, I know I need to, I need to keep these ties and I need to be listening ear and, it's so emotionally devastating to leave the church when you finally make the decision. And so if they're not ready, that's okay. But it is, it's just hard and painful because they're doing something that goes against their values. Yeah. They know. And sad. It's like, actually, it's really sad because they, yeah. And I think I like to think that one day they'll be in the same spot where they're getting frustrated with other people of like, I went through this. Don't you like, can't you understand? You know, this is not good. This is not healthy. Um, but I, I feel like that's such an individual journey that we all go yeah. on. And they're getting rid of something that has had to be relatable to me. I've had to really expand my windows of compassion is that oftentimes when Mormons leave the church, they're leaving their entire community and they're leaving their entire culture. Their identity was intrinsically tied to the church. Thank the good Lords, Lords, in case there's plural, um, 
I didn't have that experience. I had my own culture. I just be into being native because that's cool as fuck. Yeah. I could do that. And right. I'm like this, this radical intersectional feminist, crazy lady. I can go do that. I can go jump into that. But for so many members, they're like, you know what? I'm not really interested in certain political causes or I'm not really, I don't have a culture to vibe with, you know, mm-hmm. being Mormon is my, my funeral potatoes are the, yeah. the recipe passed down. And I'm not saying that to mock and I'm being serious. Also those potatoes are delicious. So there's nothing wrong with it. It's just sad. And then there, I think there's the epic quest to find another culture and to kind of find who you are, where for me, it was just a few hop skips and leaps away. And there I was <laughs> in another, and another identity that I always had all along that I just sort of suffocated as a Mormon because it didn't drive. Like, I don't think people have that. And that's, that's huge. So what a little mean way to keep people in um, is all of the cultural significance of being Mormon, I think is all intentional. Mm-hmm. It's very, very mean in a nice way. We, we have your back. We're there for you. We look out for you. They don't, but they seem like they do. And that's very mean in a nice way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, any final thoughts? I think <laughs> I don't know what to do with the first half. Do we have to like chop it out or I don't know what to do? Uh, well, I, I mean, I guess I, uh, no, no, no. We'll just keep it all together. <laughs> It'll be one omnibus episode. I think, I think it, I think it ties together. I think it ties together. Cultural appropriation, (laughs) mean in a nice way, taking things, you know, standing up for things. That's true. Culture vulture, mean, yeah, mean in a nice way. You're right. We can tie that to cultural appropriation because I will. Most of the time when people approach cultural appropriation, they try to do it from a nice and sharing lens. They admire it. And then it's a love gone mad because they don't know how to admire from afar. So it's like, I love that they do that. I want that for me. And you're like, no, that's not how it works. And then they're like, you're excluding me. And you're like, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> it's, I, we could have a whole other con- conversation <laughs> on like what is and isn't cultural appropriation. Cause I, I think I'm very, uh, I'm very lenient on, on what is okay. And of course that's coming <laughs> from a, a white man. Um, not a- but I, I'm, you know, I, you know, I, I, it's fluid, you know, <laughs> well, culture, culture is a very complicated thing. Oh and, God, and to, <laughs> I'll slam the door in anybody's face. And <laughs> uh, it's, it's con- Yeah. Okay. We'll have another conversation about cultural appropriation sometime. Well, I mean, but I will say that the ultimate rule of thumb is to ask, just ask. Ask the community yeah. itself. Just but, ask. That's it. Just ask. And I will say, asking the community itself is very broad. If you want, if somebody was like, oh, ask the Mormons. Well, do you mean like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Or do you mean the Strangites? Or do you mean the community of Christ? Or, you know, like I feel like it's complicated and like, Cultures aren't monoliths. Some people are going to be offended. Some people won't be. And culture is a complicated, like what is and is not culture. And how does one exercise ownership over it? Um, mm. And, you know, like, I, I think it's very complicated. We could have a, a long, long conversation. I can't let us end on this. I can't. I have to I say my piece. 
it's like my so my mom right she's not native she's not we all have established this she's of european descent lovely woman and she told me when it comes to cultural appropriation if you question don't do it if you think to yourself could this be cultural appropriation then don't then don't yeah. do it okay I, 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 I will slam that door and anyone says no matter how nice you are i think no. i think that is a good rule but some people won't question it and do dumb things and I'll get them. I spear them. Yeah. <laughs> I will slam the door in that face. And then also as like a person that has a culture that people be loving right now, we're in like in a Native American renaissance. Everybody wants to be Native. Pretendians be hot. They're everywhere. Um, we do not have to have an explanation. I can just tell you no and that's it. No is a full yeah, sentence. It is a full say, sentence. I can just say no. And there's certain things like that have always been shared. I love it. You want to wear Native jewelry? Wear our jewelry. Do it buy from an indigenous maker you want to wear our clothes our regalia mm, hard pass immediately no immediately stop um and that's how i feel about it you want to sing our songs Ooh, i don't know about that i don't know i don't know about really that. yeah interesting you, you can learn our language that's fine but like those kind of songs we do with powwows and stuff like mm, i don't know about that interesting maybe that's us but it's yeah it's a mixed bag that's that's the note i will end on because i couldn't let us I couldn't let that happen, Elder Jackson. Well, I, I have I have some thoughts, but uh, we we will have another conversation about cultural appropriation. <laughs> no, um, you're turning to Bishop Jensen. We have to fight. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Bishop, I I don't know. I feel like uh, in the vacuum, I have to take up the take take up arms and be like, okay, now back up. Let me question this. I once had a conversation with him. Uh, about like I forget what it was but it was some ideas and he actually agreed with me on pretty much everything but he spent three hours tearing it to shreds and being like what about this what do you think about this and he was just like poking 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 and I'm like well well and he's like interesting right hmm what do you think and I, yeah you know he makes you work for your uh for your defense that's why it's we love him. I th I think that's a good person to have a conversation with about your ideas and beliefs because it does um it, it makes you question it and yeah I, th I think that's healthy um but alas this was absolutely delightful Aww. um always always happy to be back on your podcast um <laughs> would it be possible for me to close us out heavenly mother do you oh my god yes you're the one who started this i just took over like a crazy dictator <laughs> Like a, you culturally an appropriated my podcast. <laughs> I just, I just stole it. I yeah, you stole, stole you stole it, put it in a museum, claimed you got it fair and square, <laughs> um, and I have to come to you to see it. That's um, true. Oh my, god. <laughs> oh my god! And then I allude to what used to be. Yeah. Remember, I mentioned your other episodes all the time before yeah. I ever was involved. You're, you're, yes. you're like in the ancient days with Elder Jackson <laughs> and Bishop Jensen. They would discuss, and people are like, what a fascinating safari. I love this. Thanks for taking us on this tour. Okay, real real quick. When I was in London, there was one of those bicycles with, like, the little carriage seat in the back, right? Oh. And uh, this person, he's, he's riding by on this bicycle. And this, like, big black New York man with, like, a thick New York City accent, he said, hey, we got those in New York. <laughs> and I was like, 
he's so like delighted to see something <laughs> familiar so know. far from home. And it just like, it just made me happy because I'm like, that's not a New York thing. You know, like they have those all over the place. But he was like, it made me happy to see how happy he was. But it was like, he sounded like exactly like the, hey, I'm walking here. Like, <laughs> like kind of, it was so, it was so funny. And he just like stuck out like a sore thumb in the sea of like, white British people going to work, going to the office and stuff, and he sees this bicycle ride by. Hey, we got those in New York. Oh, my God. It was awesome. It was, it, it like, it warmed my heart. That was my favorite thing about my trip was the people watching. Um, But I have a great person to close out in. Um, It is uh, one of, it's the other sister of Cinderella. And so I say these things. In the name of Drizella. Amen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Drizella. God, shoot. They were awful, but uh, I had a good time. 